Thank you, Lord. So in, in Philippians um, chapter 3. If you've got um, a fire or something you want to leave in Philippians 3, because we might come back to it a little bit. But um, thank you, Lord. Philippians chapter 3. And like really the whole book of Philippians, it's, it's so easy to read, you know, it's only four chapters long and... It's, it's a quick book to get through, but my God, what, there's such weight. And, you know, many people, myself included, we know kind of chapter four off by heart nearly, you know, rejoice always and, mm -hmm. and all that. But in actual fact, the reason that Paul writes there to rejoice always is actually uh, by going back to Philippians 1, 2, and 3, where he's, he's correcting people, he's correcting the Philippians. Um, he's also... Um, getting them to focus on the Lord and on what Jesus did for us and um, then he's telling them because of this to rejoice so that's why I'd encourage you to if you're looking at it in your own time to to read the whole thing or, or switch on Bible Gateway and let one of the um, one of the, the speakers there read it for you but um, I think uh, I feel to read chapter 3 so uh, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for to you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things last for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Now, just to go back here, Paul is, is 
laying out how he fulfilled every particle of the law that was there of circumcision. And we spoke about that a few weeks ago, you know, that, that uh, he, he warned as well in Galatians, you know, about these, these dogs who were trying to get uh, these people, religious people, who were trying to get the new Christians to be circumcised um, just as the Jews were. But you see, what the Lord had spoken was that his church and his people would no longer be um, circumcised in the flesh, but that we would be circumcised in the heart and that God would make a new covenant with us and that he would write his laws on our hearts and so that no more would people have to have this legalistic um, mindset of, you know, uh, having to fulfill rituals uh, because nobody could keep all the commandments and so that's why Jesus came that's why God had to send he had to come down himself to fulfill that law to pay the price for sin so that righteousness could be given to those who would believe in him and so here Paul is laying out all of the things you know that that he had that would have um, made him and, and indeed did make him be a very high-ranking um, Jewish person but he he's talking about rejoicing and it says there you know finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord and that means be cheerful and you know it's something that I think sometimes we as Christians tend to um, forget or tend to have be distracted away from because there's so many things going on and so many things that make us angry or that you know uh, try and rise us uh, you know what they're doing now or this or that or whatever and it, it causes frustration in people who really love the Lord but what it does is it gets us fighting over here and distracted instead of uh, resting in peace in in what God has already done for us through his son Jesus at the cross and so um, he wants us to rejoice and to enjoy our lives. The enemy wants to cause, you know, opposition, cause hindrances, cause frustrations or, or whatever to get us distracted. And so, you know, to be cheerful, I think that it's something that we need. Uh, and, and I'm not saying it about anyone here now, but I'm just talking about myself. Something that we really need to focus on is to be uh, not allow the enemy to rob our joy. And, you know, a little child, they say a child can laugh up to 400 times a day. And how many adults, you know, laugh even a fraction of that? Very few because, you know, oh, life and all of it's whatever. So that really struck me there is be cheerful is a sign of, of somebody who is really um, enjoying their relationship with the Lord and trusting in him. And... Um, He's talking about, uh, you know, as I say, the circumcision and all that. But then he goes on to say, like, that his greatest goal is in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And you see, that word sufferings there, many people read that and say, oh, no, you know, am I going to have to be crucified like Jesus or something or like what the apostles all went through? No, what the word sufferings, when Paul is writing it, what he's talking about is how we suffer in the flesh. Because you see, it says, he, you know, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live, yet not I, but, you know, Christ lives through me. 
And the suffering that we will endure in this life is the suffering between making a decision between to sin or not to sin, to give in to the flesh or to follow the spirit. There's this constant war and conflict that Paul talks about. And so um, he's saying here that, uh, you know, to the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And uh, that word power there, the power of his resurrection, that's the dunamis power. And, uh, you know, that's the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. And remember, Paul said it in Romans that, uh, you know, that power that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. And he quickens and gives life to your mortal body. So as we abide in the Lord and as we uh, come closer uh, to him, and you see, this is often what happens is, is that when pressure is on, uh, the enemy will get you to try and run away from the Lord. And that's not the right thing to do. God wants you to run towards him. And always remember the story of the prodigal son. The father was out there watching for him every day, waiting for him to come. And it says, and when he saw him afar off, he ran to him. And in those days, in the, in the context of, of the, you know, the, the Bible at that time and, and of, of their culture, a, a man would never run because they'd be wearing a tunic very like this kind of dress that I'm wearing. And, uh, you know, if they ran, it would show their legs. And that was seen as a kind of a, a very, you know, something that wasn't done. It wasn't appropriate uh, for a man's uh, nakedness uh, to be exposed. And yet, when the father saw the son afar off, far, you know, way down the road, the father ran to him. And this is something... You know, I believe the Lord is really on his heart. He wants you to run to him. If you have a problem, if you have an issue, if you've got a pain, if you've got, you know, something that's worrying you, something that's making you fear, run to him. Don't run away from him. Don't isolate. Uh, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then it says in verse 12, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. And again, this word here, pressing on, it translates to mean I run swiftly after or I eagerly seek and pursue. So it's, it's, it's an action word that, you know, somebody needs to, to do something in order to, 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 to get there. Uh, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me, that I may perceive or understand what he has apprehended me for. And you see, Jesus said, remember, he said, I chose you. You did not choose me. I have chosen you, that you would, uh, you would abide with me and that you would bear fruit for me. This is what God is interested in is his children enjoying his fellowship, enjoying his relationship, but also bearing fruit. And so he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. It's like, remember the movie City Slickers? Lango is a really funny one with um, Billy Crystal and uh, really good. And, and um, Jack Palance was like this cowboy in it. And uh, these, these three you know, friends from, who were from the city, they were going on holiday to, 
sort of have a, a male bonding holiday or whatever, you know, a friend's holiday. And uh, they they were hoping like to find themselves. They were all a different, one was having trouble in his career, another was having trouble in his marriage, and another fellow was, I don't know, can't remember what was wrong with him. But anyway, they went out into the wilds and uh, they went riding uh, as cowboys to bring in a herd of um, cattle. And uh, Jack Palance was the, the cowboy. It's a very funny movie, actually. And, and he, he keeps talking to them about the one thing. They need to find the one thing. And, you know, the one thing was, was different for every one of them. But here, this is what Paul is saying. There's, there is one major thing that you need to do, forgetting which those things that are behind. And uh, that translates there, that word tra forgetting translates to mean no longer caring for um, just kind of given to oblivion, just to forget about it completely. Those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press, again, that's that word, it's that action word. I run swiftly by any means towards the goal or the mark for the prize of the upward call or the high call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's a high calling on your life. You're not just, you know, uh, somebody... Sometimes I think when we go out and we look at the ocean and, and you look at the vastness of it, or you go out at night and you look at the sky and you look at the vastness of it and you say, my God, I'm such a small, insignificant dot in all of this. Uh, but you're not. You're, you're precious and valuable to God. Mm -hmm. And you're his son, you're his daughter. And mm -hmm. he has a high calling on your life. And many people don't pursue it. They don't run after the high calling. They settle for the you know, for the, the low calling, I think. Um, but anyway, so, uh, we're, you know, like we said last week, remember, in, in um, right now there's a new Jerusalem being built in heaven. Well, it's already built, but God is building, and he's building here in this earth as well. And he wants to use you to build his kingdom and most of all, first of all, in your life, he wants that to be uh, apparent and to, to come forth. And that's how our light will shine. And Father, I just take authority right now in the name of Jesus. And I just break the power of every assignment, Father, in Jesus' name. And I praise you and I thank you, Holy Amen. Spirit. Amen. I ask you, Lord, that you would open our, our spiritual ears and help us to perceive and understand. And I pray, Lord, that you would... Only uh, let me speak what I hear you saying, Lord, and only uh, do what I see you doing. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would let every scale, every, um, every hindrance or any shroud, Lord, I take authority in the name of Jesus, of every shroud of oppression or darkness, Father, uh, trying to come against uh, us here in this meeting tonight. In Jesus' name, and I command it be removed in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father. But, um, you know, we each of us are meant to live our lives just like as a lighthouse and to be able to shine uh, with his glory, with his power. And we can't do that until we've come to that place ourselves of knowing him and of being intimate with the Lord. And then, you know, we will shine. But um, what the enemy likes to do is he likes to get people to look backwards and all through the Bible, you know, God spoke when he, when he called Abram, um, he called him out of, the, you know, the land of Ur and the Chaldeans. And he said, come away, uh, separate yourself, come out from among them and come with me and let me take you, uh, you know, 
where the plans that I have for you and for your family. And so Abraham trusted him and went with God. And he told him, you know, you need to, you need to come out from among them. He said the same to Lot and his family. He told him, you need to get out of here now and you need to not look back. And you see, this is what Paul is talking about, is that there are things in the world that we need to leave behind. There are things of the flesh that we need to shed, like the way a, an animal, you know, can shed their whole coat, or one of those turtles sheds their, their skins or whatever, those things. But, uh, you know, we need to shed things that we have been involved with in the past, or that things that have afflicted us, because they have been holding us back from what God has planned for us to do. And um, so I was just thinking the last day that uh, when uh, my older girl was young, she was really wired, you know, she was full of energy and beans, like she was one of those children, you know, that like uh, used to be going all day and then eventually there'd be an off switch would come on her all of a sudden and she'd <laughs> go straight to sleep at night because she was so worn out. But one thing I used to observe with her, she was constantly falling. I mean, like several times a day, you know, she'd fall or she'd uh, have cuts or bruises or bang into things or whatever. And I was watching her. She was only about a year and a half or two at this stage. And I was watching her. And actually, the way she was running was she was always running, <laughs> looking backwards. She was always running everywhere she went, but she was always looking backwards. And of course, she was crashing into everything. So I had to actually constantly correct her. Stop looking backwards. Look where you're going. Watch where you're going. And, you know, she did eventually get it. And she stopped and she stopped falling. But, um, you see, today, you know, the Lord says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the days of old. And... Uh, you know, there are things that the Lord is dealing with with all of us and there are things that he wants uh, to bring about and to bring to pass in your life and in your family. But yesterday's battles are finished and there's no point in looking backwards. We have to look forward, like we said a few weeks ago. You know, you need to look forward and you need to make plans and you need to allow the Lord to deal with those things that need to be shed and put off. That's why Paul says, you know, put off the old nature and put on the nature of God and, and clothe yourselves with love and with humility. And so um, there's nothing for us in the past. The only thing that's there in the past for us is understanding of how not to do that again. You know, we do learn lessons, don't we? And, and we learn from the things that we've done before that didn't work out or, or that, you know, we shouldn't have done or that we shouldn't have got involved in. And that's there for us. But we need that information for moving forward, not for looking back. And so many of us get caught in that trap of constantly going over and over and over again the things that went on. And uh, this can stop people from, from fulfilling the promises of God. Can we have a look at Nehemiah? Um, the book of Nehemiah. <coughs> oh, praise you, Jesus. Nehemiah 
was living in a foreign nation. He was uh, actually, after being taken captive from the land of Israel, and he was now, uh, because he was a kind of a noble, he was, he was put in a good position in this new king's palace, and he was actually the king's cupbearer. But some people came back from Israel. He asked them, how is the, the nation of Israel, how is the, land, uh, the city of Jerusalem? And they gave him, uh, you know, they gave him the reality that the walls were burnt down, the gates were all torn down, uh, the city was in a terrible state, very few were living there. Um, you know, basically the place had become overgrown and taken over by enemies. And it grieved Nehemiah so much in his heart. And he spoke to the Lord about it. And he felt the Lord speaking to him to go back and to build the wall. And you see, this is what I'm saying about a high calling. There is a, will you say that with me? There's a high calling, a high calling. On, my life. on my life. And not just me, and not just me. But, on my family. but on my family. And Lord, Lord if you will show me, and give me a heart for your plans. And let me, and let me understand, understand your ways. Your ways. I will, fulfill I will fulfill your high calling, your high calling. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what Nehemiah did. He went to the king, well, he actually was serving the king, and the king said to him, I've never seen you looking sad before. You're always happy. Why are you sad this evening? And he said, oh, why wouldn't I be sad? The city that I love, that I came from, is falling down and in ruins, and it is, you know, an abomination to our God. And the king said, oh, and, and Nehemiah said, could I ask you something? Would you allow me to go back there, to take some people with me, to take some provisions with me, to rebuild those walls, and I will come back to you? So Nehemiah, you know, was willing to lay down his life. He could have made plans to escape and run away from the king's palace, you know, because he was being held captive, as I said there, but he didn't. But he was willing to lay down his life for his, for his nation and for, and for the Lord, really, because it grieved him that it was the Lord who was being humiliated, not humiliated, but, you know, it was the Lord who was being disgraced by the state of Jerusalem, because that was the city of God. And so the king gave him favor and said, absolutely, because the king really liked him. And so he gave him everything he wanted and he needed. Nehemiah went back to the nation of Israel. He went out one night when nobody was watching and he did a survey all around the outskirts of the city, looking at the wall, seeing where it was damaged, how bad the damage was. And then he came to the people and he spoke to them and he said, listen, the state of this place is an absolute disgrace. God is not being honored here. Will you come with me and work with me and we rebuild these walls? And you know, because the anointing of God was on Nehemiah for this calling and for this purpose, the people came with him and they said, yes, we will. And there was actually very few people who lived there at the time. You can read it yourself after. But anyway, they started rebuilding the wall in chapter 3. And um, he, what he decided to do was, because there were so few there, he decided to get each family to rebuild a portion of the wall. And uh, other families and some of the priests to rebuild certain gates. And the first gate that was re repaired was the sheep gate. And it was the Levites, the priests, who, who restored and repaired that. And you know, that's the thing about the Lord. He is interested in his sheep. 
And he goes after, you know, the, he tells us in Ezekiel 34, he goes after his sheep that have gone astray. Just like I said earlier, the, the prodigal son in Luke 15, you know, God is interested in those ones who have, who have gone astray or those ones who have, uh, you know, maybe never heard or never known of him and, and, he, and who are out there in the world hurting. And it's his body, uh, us, the church, who are going to, who are going to minister his healing and his love to those people. And so this is what Nehemiah did, was he, he gave each family a portion of the wall and they all worked together to start building the wall. But what happened? Immediately, the devil came to try and bring division and to try and to stop the work. Because uh, the enemies of Israel and of Jerusalem knew that if these city walls were rebuilt back up, that they would not be able to keep coming in and out and plundering the place and taking, you know, what was not theirs. And so they they sent these guys, one of them was called Sambalat. Um, and in chapter four of Nehemiah, um, you know, I know we've studied Nehemiah many times before, but it's, it's something that I really feel that uh, is an end time book because it's, it's exactly what's happening right now with the way that the enemy uses discouragement and, and fear and disheartening of, of God's people and trying to call them away from the purpose and the assignment that God has given you. Um, it happened uh, in, in verse or chapter 4, Sambalat heard we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? And you laugh and find that, is that that's the way the enemy speaks to us. You know, he, he tries to talk down to people and, and to bring intimidation or, or whatever um, threats uh, saying who do you think you are how do you think you could ever do that what kind of a, a fool do you think you are saying that you have a high calling from God well that's what the Lord tells us in his word that each one of us uh, that we are called to great and mighty things and that he will reveal great and mighty things to us which we have not known and that it won't be anything to do with how much power we have in the world or how much education or how much money but that God reveals these things to what the world considers foolish and uh, praise God, that's what he wants, is for each one of us to stand up in the anointing that we have been called to. And this is what Nehemiah did. And straight away, the enemy came and tried to get him to stop and, and you know, saying nasty things and all that. And in verse 6, um, we built the wall and the entire wall was joined up together to half its height for the people had mind to work. Um, imagine that because they were anointed to do it there was an anointing and a grace from God and so there was it was almost like a supernatural work they were doing and they had already it built up halfway now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah the Arab and, and uh, the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry how many of you know that's one of the characteristics of the devil is that very angry spirit. They became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. That's exactly what he tries to do, is to come and attack in order to create such confusion that everything will fall apart and that God's assignment won't get fulfilled. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. There was an enormous attack against this work. It enraged the enemy so much because they did not want to see this. Why not? Because this is what we even see today with Israel. You know, the, the devil hates the nation of Israel. He hates the city of Jerusalem because that is where Jesus is coming back. And so we, his church, we are his bride. We are to be preparing and building and getting ready for when he does come back. And uh, this is what the enemy will try and do is stop that at any cost. And, and it's always dirty play. They conspired together. Anyway, we made our prayer to God. Uh, and there, the adversary says, we, we'll come and we'll kill them and we'll cause it to cease. And then, you know, worse again, even more, there's more to come. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. <gasps> you know, 10 times like they came. It's amazing how many times the enemy will say something over and over again. You know, that that will never work out. What do you, who do you think you are? You know, uh, constant kind of harassment. That kind of harassing spirit. That is the enemy and make no bones about it. And uh, anyway, uh, what Nehemiah said, uh, he, he first of all put the people on the wall with their swords and their spears and their bows. And then he said to them, Will we read it together in, in verse 14? And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. This is the thing, friends, you know, is, is, is that it's not just about you. And it never is just about you. This is about much more than, than individuals. It's about everybody in your household, in your circle, your friends. You know, the enemy will do everything he can to stop you from fulfilling the assignment that God has on your life in order to not only create chaos for you, but to create destruction for your, your descendants and your children. And uh, it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So, you know, they had this big scene of drama. And what did they do? They, they uh, listened to the word of God. Do not be afraid. Remember, fight. You're fighting not just for yourself, but for your, your husbands, your wives, your children, your little ones. Um, now, they turned around, they went back, and they just went back to work. And they just kept building. And that's very often, you know, all you can do is get up and put one foot in front of the other. And it can be so difficult at times because there's constant harassment or, or issues or things. But, you know, like we said here on Thursday night, circumstances are subject to change. And this is what happened here. And... Uh, they, they went on and, and they, you can read it there yourself afterwards. They had a strategy. 
they were building with one hand and they had a sword or, or, or in their other hand. They had a weapon in their other hand. They also had people behind them protecting them and they had people down low and the walls uh, in front of them protecting them as well. They had people on watch all day and all night watching for where the enemy would try and attack them. But while they were watching, what were they doing? They were still building. And it goes on to tell you about a lot of them who were building. You know, they were building with their families and their children. Even their daughters are mentioned, which is amazing for, again, going back to the culture of this time. Uh, the daughters wouldn't have been, you know, uh, up to much except for gathering water and sticks. But here they were actually helping them. You know, God is the most equal opportunities employer <laughs> that there ever has been. Uh, he is the most pro-woman uh, person who has ever come on this earth. But anyway, um, Nehemiah kept the guy with the trumpet next to him. And he told them, you know, whenever you hear the trumpet, you come running and you come to wherever that trumpet is sounding because we need help. And this is how they did it. They labored. And uh, guess what happened in, uh, where are we? I'm not losing it. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. In, in chapter six, Sambalat, the, the, the enemies decided to come at it another way. And he sent a message to Nehemiah and he said, you know, uh, you need to come and meet me and let's have a chat. And uh, Nehemiah, with the Spirit of God on him, perceived that they were going to do him harm. So in verse 3, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I think this is something all of us need to, to uh, imprint on our lives because so often what happens is, is that the enemy will cause something to happen that will try and distract you. Even in our everyday life, if you're at home, you know, if you're going into work and you're doing your job, or if you're at home uh, trying to straighten the house, you know, there's phone calls or there's something on the radio or somebody's calling or whatever, you know, and these things pull you away and they stop you from completing what you were meant to be doing. Well, this is what Nehemiah perceived here. And he said, no, I'm not going to meet you because I am doing a great work. And I'm not, and, and what they did was four times, again, this kind of harassing spirit, you know, coming and, and keep coming and coming and coming, you know, come on, come meet us, trying to constantly distract him. And then he sent, uh, Sambalat sent a letter with him the fifth time, and it, this letter was written, all these horrible things, uh, threats, this is what's going to happen to you, this is obviously what you're doing, you're trying to set yourself up, and I'm going to go to the king, and, and all these things are going to happen to you. And uh, so Nehemiah answered him and said, no such thing as you say... Uh, no such things as you say are being done but you invent them in your own heart for they were trying to make us afraid you see they were trying to make us afraid and their hands they were saying their hands will be weakened by the work and it will not be done and then what did Nehemiah did he just prayed he said now therefore O God strengthen my hands sometimes it might only be one sentence but as you just uh, decide Lord I believe this is what uh, you know you want me to do. I believe, Father God, that uh, you, you know I've heard your voice or 
you know, as we obey his word and, and do it, the enemy will constantly try and say, you're not holy enough, you're not good enough, you're such a sinner, you did this, you did that. Remember when you did that long ago? Remember how bad that was? And, and that's what the enemy will try and do. And you've got to, you know, remain resolute where, where you just fix your eyes and say, no, Jesus had to do it. It says in Isaiah that I, he said, I set my face like flint where he just uh, remained resolute and refused to come off of what he was meant to do. When he was being uh, accused uh, by the Pharisees and, and by Pilate and all those, you know, after they'd arrested him, he, it said he opened not his mouth because he just remained resolute. What he had come to do, he was going to accomplish it. And he was not going to enter in on the devil's playground. And you see, this is often what happens. And it's what happened here in Nehemiah. The enemy uses situations to try and pit people against each other in the same way that you see them setting up dog fights and they let out, you know, two dogs to, to fight it out or cock fights, those, those things. You know, this is what the enemy tries to do. It's so important that we do not uh, come under the influence of whatever spirit it is that's trying to distract you from the, the high calling or the great work that God has planned for your life. This is why, uh, you know, offense and, and uh, those things are, are so dangerous because they, 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 they suck you in into like, you know, this, this vortex where around and around and around and around and, and it's very difficult to get out of that place then. So Nehemiah refused to go into it and uh, he spotted that they were trying to make him afraid and he just prayed to God, oh God, strengthen our hands. When the disciples were, uh, John and Peter and them were called before the Sanhedrin and the, and the Pharisees and they were told, listen, or before the council, sorry, in Jerusalem, they were told, you stop preaching in this guy's name. You stop telling people about this Jesus and about how we murdered him. You stop doing it. You stop going around healing people. And Peter and John looked at them and said, what are we going to do? Are we going to obey God? Or are we going to obey you? I think I know who I'm going to obey. And uh, they went. Uh, it said that they left them go. They beat them and left them go. And what did the apostles do? They went home and they prayed, Oh God, give us boldness. They didn't pray, Oh God, stop all this trouble. And, and Nehemiah is, is after praying exactly the same thing here. Oh God, strengthen my hands. And... Uh, Finally, in, in uh, verse, uh, let me see. Oh, then this other guy came again, um, some other fellow, what was his name, Shemaiah. He was sent as well, and uh, he came at it from a different tactic. And he said, you know, let's go meet in the temple because they're out to kill you and you'll be safe in the temple. And again, Nehemiah perceived uh, and in verse 11, he said, we're in chapter 6 here, verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid or, or to intimidate me. 
uh, um, and act that way and sin so that they might have a cause for an evil report and that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat according to their works and the prophetess Nobiah. So he's saying here, it suddenly occurred to me that if I did what that guy said, I would have sinned and I would have brought down curse on myself and I would have given them an opportunity. And this goes back to what Jesus said. You know, anytime Jesus came into the, the temple or wherever, uh, when he went to the, the guy as well who's hanging out in the tombs, the demons manifested in front of him. But he operated in such authority that he cast out those demons and that he bound them and shut their mouths. And this is the way we're to, to operate. But those demons, each one of them spoke to Jesus and they said, have you come to torment us before our time? What have we got in common with you? What is there in us that's in you? And you see, this is what Nehemiah had to do. He had to protect himself and the anointing that he was operating under. Because if he got involved with them, it would destroy the anointing. The wall would never be built. And he would then, uh, you know, they would have a reason to be able to, uh, to curse him. And so um, in verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. And we are now in that month of Elul. It's the last calendar month of the Jewish uh, year. Uh, and next, um, I think it is, the week, uh, next weekend is going into the, the new Jewish year, as I said earlier, and the, the day of sounding of the trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, uh, and, and, the, and uh, the Feast of Trumpets, sorry, and the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. So it was a supernatural work, and it had the hand of God in it. That's how it was finished so quickly. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by God. And this is the thing, is that the thing uh, that the Lord has called you to do, whatever that is, whatever ministry he's put inside of your heart, whether it's ministering as a mother, ministering as a father, ministering in your workplace, ministering in your neighborhood, uh, ministering in your church, whatever it is that he's put inside of you, it's a high calling and he wants you to shine for him. And uh, looking back or, 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 or getting involved in the things that the enemy tries to put in your path will only tear you away from the assignment that, that God has called you to. You know, and I just wrote this, do not abort the assignment and do not follow an agenda of defeat. You see, that's the other thing is that the enemy will try and get people to have a defeated attitude. This is what he tried to do with Nehemiah. And had he succeeded, that wall would never have been finished and God would never have got the glory. In fact, they would have been, you know, that's what... At the start, when the enemies came out, that's what they were doing. They were laughing and mocking at Nehemiah, saying, who do these think they are? How would they ever? You know, the, the rocks and, and the stones of Jerusalem were actually burned by the, the, the marauding uh, armies that had all conquered Jerusalem. So they were actually, 
working with burnt stones and they had to really clear away such debris and such rubbish. I really feel this book is so prophetic, even about us. There's an awful lot of things inside of us that's, you know, almost like overgrown uh, gardens or, or like uh, places where there's debris that needs to be torn away, first of all, in order for the work to start. Praise God. And one of those things is offense. And we need to be so careful of it because it is a bondage to the past. Yesterday is, remember that song, isn't it? I think it's the line of a song, yesterday is gone. Uh, it really is gone yesterday and it can't be brought back. And in order to enjoy your life and to be able to rejoice and to be full of, of the joy of the Lord, uh, you need to be able to look forward. And afterwards in Nehemiah, what happened was, was that Ezra, the scribe, called all the people together and he read from the law. And all the people, when they heard the law being read, when they heard God's word being read, they repented, they cried, they wept for their sins. And then uh, Nehemiah stood up and said, listen, the time for repenting and grieving is over. It's time now to look forward because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And so that's what happened. It was, it was the word of God that penetrated their hearts, that caused them to leave the past behind and to be able to move on. And uh, in, in Psalm 103, if you go there with me. It says, uh, Meg spoke it out on, on Thursday night in, in Lamentations chapter 3. It says, God's mercies are new every morning. And the thing is, like, you know, that's not just for you and me, but it's also for us to give to other people. Our mercies need to be new every morning. We need to give people a, a fresh start. But it, we also need to realize that God has given us a fresh start. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful news that every day you get a fresh start with God? Uh, and think about it how many people are struggling out in the world how many people are miserable uh, are tormented or you know lonely or isolated and they don't know that how many people are living in the past are living with you know a kind of a millstone or a chain you know locking them up and chaining them to the past and they don't even know that God's mercies are new every morning and here in Psalm 103 um, it's a mighty psalm anyway, so I think what we'll do is we'll read it, will we? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers him no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength and who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you who his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. You know, um, the Lord is merciful and gracious in, in verse 8 slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and he will not always strive with us. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Imagine that, that how far up the heavens go. That's how great, and, and the heavens are eternal because they're finding new planets and, and new parts of I don't know what they're called, galaxies or something, every day. And that's how much mercy he has towards you and me. And as far as the east is from the west, no one can measure it. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. But he expects us to operate in that same spirit. He expects us to give that same mercy. And to, to, to uh, realize, you know, that, uh, that God desires that all men be saved all of mankind be saved and uh, look at that picture there as a father pities his children I think it says in the NLT as a tender father so the Lord pities those who fear him for he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust and this is the thing is that this you know world tries to make people be perfect you know this this perfectionist thing I'm, I'm not as, as good a Christian as what I should be or, or what I could be. You know, the Lord knows everything about you. He knows. He knows all the good and he knows all the bad. And yet he still loves you. Yeah. And he has, when he looks at you, he doesn't see uh, you. He doesn't see me as we were. He sees Jesus in us and what Jesus did for us. And so he sees that all of our sins, all of our transgressions, all of our iniquities, all of our shortcomings, all of our stupidness that we've been involved with in the past, it's all gone. He's removed it from us and he has made us right with him. And it's from this place. And listen, if we can get uh, an understanding of that, uh, that's where what, what we read in Philippians, that I may know the power of his resurrection that's the place where where you know you'll say something to somebody and and they'll say please tell me how do i come to know jesus you'll put your hands on somebody and say be healed in jesus name and instantly they'll be delivered and healed and set free that's what god wants to see happening he wants to see 
his children operating on this earth in his power and in total fellowship and intimacy with him. And we can't have that intimacy if we're looking back. We can't have it if we're constantly remembering what was done, what was said, who said what, or, you know, how, how I went through this or I went through that. Listen, everybody's gone through stuff. Everybody in this whole earth. And uh, everybody's been through pain. Everybody's been through suffering and had trauma and different things, different levels, different types of, of things happen. But God wants you, he wants you to rise up and to move forward and to come out of it and to leave it behind mm -hmm. because he has a high calling on your life. Amen. So do not abort the assignment and do not follow the agenda of defeat. You know, the devil, uh, in, in, when you go to meetings, when they have the trustees meetings here and they, they have, you know, uh, the minute book or whatever and an agenda and, and things like that, that's exactly what the enemy has for each. He's got a playbook. God has his books in heaven, but the enemy has a playbook as well where he has an agenda written out of destruction, disaster, uh, and, and whatever else he'll try and bring into your life, do not follow the agenda of defeat mm -hmm. and realize that this is not God. This is not what he has planned for me. And this is not what I'm going to get engaged with. Mm -hmm. Jesus, let's have a look finally at um, Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> How we fix your time? Mm -hmm. Praise God. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say I am? They all gave their, their um, opinions and then he turned around to them and he said, but who do you say I am? Peter gave this um, answer to him. Uh, Simon Peter said, this is Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, uh, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, this is the thing is that Jesus had, he operated and walked in such authority because he knew who he was and he knew what assignment he had been sent here with. And he was determined to not be distracted and to fulfill it. And then what he did was he gave us that authority over demons, over Satan, over his snakes and his scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. But he said, don't delight in this, that the demons are subject to you. Rather delight yourself in the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so he has given us these keys of authority. And one of the greatest keys of authority is mercy. 
to walk in mercy. Uh, like it says in Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O men, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to do what's right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, to humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up. And so, you know, Jesus has given us these keys. What do keys do? Keys open and close. They open things and they close things. They lock things and they unlock things. And it also means, uh, the, the, the word bind there means to uh, forbid something. And the word loose there means to permit something. So they, they you know, they um, allow things or they disallow them. And uh, keys are only given by somebody who is in authority to someone who has been given authority. And so keys signify authority. And it says, gates of hell shall not prevail or conquer. That word, they shall not prevail. They will not conquer the church of Jesus Christ. My church, he said, on this rock, on this revelation that I am the Christ, that I am the Son of God, and that I have come to save you, and that by you believing in me, uh, you will be uh, made right with God, given the gift of righteousness, um, and, and by abiding in me and having relationship with me, uh, not living, you know, according to the flesh or according to the way the world does, you will be part of my church, my ecclesia or my called out ones. And you're called out for a high purpose. Amen. And Jesus built his church on this foundation. And those keys, you know, he came, it says the ministry of Jesus was to set the captives free. He came to set the captives free, to bring good news so that people could rejoice and so that people could enjoy their lives. And this is what he wants for you. And so he has given you those keys that as you understand and walk in his authority, understand that you have been called, you have been called to lead a holy life. And that holy life means leaving the past behind. It means not entering into offense or, or unforgiveness. It means not allowing sickness to rule over you. It means not permitting the things that the enemy is trying to bring into your path. Not getting distracted. Not allowing rejection. Not allowing shame or guilt or whatever else that the enemy would try and put on you. Refusing to be distracted by those things. Staying single-minded in order to advance and move forward in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thank you Lord. I think we break bread.